before I get into the word, I just, I, I want to know if, the, I know that there's some that, you know, you, it's been a while since you've been here. We have Mike and Yvonne, right? Michael and Yvonne, right? And Nikki. And if there's anybody else, and if you're not receiving our weekly um, blast that we sent out, um, sharing information, if you would just raise your hand. Um, because uh, what we want to do is we want to just make sure that every we have your contact information, email addresses, bank card numbers, anything that you, you know, you, tr- you could trust us, no. But uh, we really want to stay in contact with everybody. So if, um, if, you, if you're not receiving our weekly um, newsletter, it's not a newsletter, but it's just kind of a blog or whatever that we send out. If you would raise your hand and, and the ushers, okay, Nikki over here, and, and put your name and, and your address, your physical address, and your, um, your email address especially, because that's how we, we don't do bulletins here or anything like that. This is how we stay in touch with people. Amen? All good? Everybody good? Ready to hear from the word? Amen. Somebody say yes. We really, yeah. All right. (laughs) I know I am. God has uh, been speaking a lot, and I just want to share, um, continue on this, this theme that we've been looking at, looking at our biblical roots and the nature of God in the Tanakh. And, of course, what I mean by the Tanakh is the Torah, the prophets, and the letters that we have in the scriptures. And it's an acronym that means it, it, it means the Torah, the Navaim, and uh, the Ketuvim, Tanakh. So it's an acronym. And many call it the Old Testament. And when we use that term Old Testament, it brings a lot of confusion. Not necessarily among us, but it brings a lot of confusion in the body of, of Christ, the body of Messiah, world, world, worldwide. And um, But I want to talk today about how we see God's character and specifically his character of mercy and grace. You see, so many people just think mercy and grace are in Yeshua. So we only really see that in the new covenant. As a matter of fact, the old covenant, and I talked about this last week, is, is almost like, hmm, it's... God is really mad. He's angry. He's harsh. He's judgmental. But Yeshua came to save us from that. And that is such a lie from the pit of hell. And it's caused a a dichotomy in the body of Messiah. What I mean by dichotomy is is some really believe that it's only everything we need is is in Yeshua and in Jesus. And in the New Testament, we don't really need the Old Testament any longer. But I want to look at the very words of Yeshua himself. We read this last week, and I'm just going to read one verse, Matthew 5, 17. We, we hear it many times here. It says, do not think, and this is Yeshua speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. You see, people were saying, you know, you're the Messiah. And and what does this mean? And he's speaking to the lost sheep of Israel. He's speaking to Israel at the time. Do not think that I've come to abolish the Torah and the prophets or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Powerful words that we need to be reminded of. 
it's interesting. I'm, I'm entering into a, I'm in a dialogue right now with a, a former colleague of mine from 20 years ago when I was with another ministry. And he loves the scriptures. He's a, he's a, he's a great teacher, actually. He's written many books, and, and he's a great counselor. And, and I was part of the ministry that he was part of. But he was sending out a, a Facebook um, thing to, to people to have him pray because he's going into a church that Sunday, and he's going to be preaching on the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And something about that struck me. And I said, he's putting this against that. It's almost like there's a competition. Which is better? The New Covenant? You know, we know that the New Covenant, it says that it's a better covenant. But in some ways, people have interpreted that as Old Covenant, bad. New Covenant, all good. And so I've been entering into a dialogue with him about this. You see, when Yeshua said, this Torah is not going to be abolished, it's not, I haven't come to do away with it, but to fulfill it. You see, his being Messiah depended on the fact that he must fulfill every part of Tanakh. Everything in Tanakh he had to fulfill. And so if you look at Yeshua, and I remember one of the first challenges I had as a Jewish believer, trying to come to grips with who this Jesus was. I didn't know him as Yeshua then, but he made some incredible claims in the Gospels. And so I had to come to a point that says he's either everything he says he is or he's an absolute complete fraud. And I came to the conclusion based on firsthand testimony and also things that he did in my life that he is everything he said he was going to do and he is everything he said he is he, he was to be and we look at Yeshua as he walked this earth he came into contact with with Torah teachers and Pharisees who see what happened you know they, they, they had the Torah they had the prophets but it was almost like there was a time of silence for a few hundred years and, and, and tradition began, began to seep in to the Jewish people. And they lifted up the traditions of the elders and the fathers and the patriarchs at the same level as the scripture. And Yeshua rebuked them several times in the scriptures for that, using tradition as a basis for coming up with doctrine. See, many times they confused the oral traditions and, and made them into doctrine. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and, and useful for reproof, restoration, training, and righteousness. In other words, our doctrines are to come from the word of God, from the Torah, the prophets, and the letters. Those are the, that's where Paul and Peter and James and John, the New Testament, New Covenant, Apostles, they got their doctrines that had already been laid forth in Torah. That's why it's so crucial for us to understand Torah and not to make that, that division, well, that is then and this is now. Yes, Yeshua came and he ushered in a new covenant. And now, yes, he is living inside of us and that changes everything. But he is the word, became flesh. The words that he spoke were the words that we read in the Tanakh. Yeshua also went around and he settled arguments. 
that people were having him. How to keep the Shabbat? Are we allowed to, to heal on the Shabbat? And he brought in scriptures from Deuteronomy and Leviticus to say, you know what, if you have a, a, a neighbor whose, whose animal falls into a pit on the Shabbat, you are allowed to help them out. So why not heal somebody on the Shabbat? You know, so he used the Tanakh to counter arguments that were coming against him. He also described the end times, and this is so important for us in these days, because if anything should tell us the days that we're living in is the events of the last few weeks. Is Iran in the scriptures? Yeah. It's called Persia. And, you know, if you look, and I talked about this last week, I won't get into a whole lot. If you look at Ezekiel, huh? Elam? Yeah. If you look in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and all through Zechariah 9, 10, 11, and 12, you'll see a description of the things that are going to happen in the end days. And, you know, we see there's an alliance between Gog and Magog and Tushal and Meshach and, and basically Russia and the, and the tribes of the north joining together with Persia coming against God's people, Israel. Matter of fact, we even see, you know what? There are Russian troops on the border of Israel right now. Did you know that? In Syria. And so, not to be fearful. Not to be fearful. These things must take place. And see, what I'm, the point I'm making is Yeshua describes these end days in Matthew chapter 25. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 25. It's called Jacob's Troubles. The tribulations, and he quotes Isaiah and Zechariah and Ezekiel about the amazing events that need to take place. That's why it is so important for us to, to really understand the character of God and trust the character of God. And I'm going to be talking about the God of mercies and the God of grace. First of all, God is a God of mercy. Mercies. And actually, it's a plural the term you see up here in Hebrew, it's rachamim, means compassionate, but it's, 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 it's a plural form of mercy. So it's actually the God of mercies. Rachamim points to instances of compassion. God has compassion for his people. The root for the word rachamim is actually recham. And this is interesting because Jason talked about this. It's a mother's womb. Recham in Hebrew is a mother's womb. How visual is that? Talking about compassion. He feels for his people. He feels for his people Israel. He feels for you and me as a mother of an unborn or a newborn child. And it's interesting that Israel, it's not part of my message, but we go into Exodus where we find the people. They're in Egypt. Things have changed. There's another, there's another um, pharaoh in charge of things. And Israel is taken out of Egypt. It's almost like Egypt is a womb, a mother's womb in a lot of ways. As a matter of fact, Yeshua himself comes out of Egypt. And the Egyptian people... 
they see themselves as the womb of the people of Israel. Interesting. Just a little aside. But here we have this picture of Racham, the mother's womb. God is a God of Rechamim, mercies. He feels for us as a mother of an unborn or a newborn child. And we see this characteristic, that compassion of God. We see it all over the scriptures. I'm going to look at some, show you some scriptures. But I also want, to, I want us to see this, that it's in the person of Yeshua. You see, Yeshua, he is God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to see the compassion of God, see it in me. So if you turn to John 14... Verse 6, Yeshua said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Powerful statements right there. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Master, just show us the Father, and, and that's enough for us. Yeshua said to him, have I been with you for so long and you haven't come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, here we are again, the words that I say to you, the Devarim, I do not speak on my own, but the Father dwelling in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the works themselves. And we see that compassion of God in the person of Yeshua. He showed his mercies when he saw the multitudes and he felt for them and he fed them. There was an action associated with his feeling. He saw the people that needed healing and he healed them. He saw their needs. He felt their needs, but he did something more. He actually healed them. He cried over Lazarus' tomb. He knew what he was going to do, but he still was moved with compassion. He had a feeling. He cried. Matter of fact, the shortest scripture in the Bible is what? Yeshua wept. Talking about being at the tomb of Lazarus. And then he goes over Jerusalem, and we've been to this place several times. Just before he's, he goes to the cross, and he's, he's looking over Jerusalem, and he's just, he just this compassion for the lost sheep of, in that city comes over him, and he prays over Jerusalem as a mother hen would pray over her chick, would watch over her chicks. You could see and feel the compassion that Yeshua had for his people. We see, we see his feelings of anger. We see his feelings of grief, and we see his feelings of regret and disappointments. And we see these even in the Psalms, which is almost an autobiography of Yeshua. If you read the Psalms, it's filled with the psalmist. There's David and the other Psalms. Their heart. You know, you can read about David in the other books, but you hear his heart, and you hear the heartbeat of God in the Psalms. It's almost like Yeshua's autobiography. God is a God of emotion and feeling. Sometimes we think he doesn't feel what I feel. He doesn't experience what I experience, and yet he experiences everything, probably even more in an intensity that we can never imagine. 
You see, we cannot separate God's attributes. He's more than the sum of his, character, his individual characteristics. You can't just separate his mercy for that situation and his judgment there. God is who he is. I like what A.W. Tozer, and if you've never read any of his books, he's an incredible author. He says, mercy is an attribute of God which disposes God to be actively compassionate. In other words, there's an inclination because of who he is to be actively compassionate. Both the Old and the New Testaments proclaim the mercy of God, but the Old has more than four times as much to say about it as the New. Did you realize that? That the Old Covenant is more to, four times more to say about God's mercies than the New. But that term he uses, actively compassionate. What does that mean? Actively compassionate. Just think about it. Is love is a lifestyle. It's choices. It's not a feeling. Unfortunately, today in the world, too many people think love. I feel love. I feel love. Tom, I just, I'm just, I just feel love all over. But love is, is a, it's a choice. It's a series of choices that, that, that ends up in a lifestyle of love. You know, we love each other. Millie and I love each other. But sometimes the feeling of, you know, oh boy, I blew it on this one. You know, there's not the, sometimes the feelings aren't always there. Like when I don't lock my car. And, and I'm reminded in a way that I'm glad she does, but I don't feel. But anyways, love is more than just a feeling. It's choices. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And same thing with compassion. Mercy is action. Pity is a feeling. You can see something. I love to watch Seinfeld. And Seinfeld has this thing, and when he sees something happening, and it's, it's kind of a bad thing happens to somebody, he, he kind of has this, well, that's a shame. Well, that's a shame. And he walks on. It doesn't really mean anything when Jerry Seinfeld says, hmm, that's a shame, in his, in his, you know, in his character. But that's what I mean, is, is sometimes we, we have pity for something, but we don't do anything about it. Pity is a feeling, but mercies are actions toward a recipient. I'll never forget the first time that Mill and I, we were in the Middle East. And we were in Egypt, and it was 1991, and we were with an Egyptian brother. And he was just an awesome guy. He was with our, with our mission. And his name was Magdi. And he lived in Heliopolis, which is a, a, a suburb actually called the city of the sun it's in the scripture but it's a suburb of of um uh cairo and if you've ever been to cairo anybody here ever been to cairo cairo is about 25 30 million people it's huge and most of the people are are like poor really 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 poor and we would drive around with him and he carried money and every, you know, beggars all over the place. And he was always giving a little bit of money to these to these kids, mostly kids. And at one point, I just said, "Man, you're going to go broke doing that." And he started talking about. I, he says, I, "I can't help but do this. These are my people. I love them, and they're hurting. And if I give them a little bit of money, God's blessed me. And I give them a little. It's going to maybe mean a meal for them today. That's compassion." Now, I'm not saying that we do this to everybody in every, 
everybody that we see, but, but ask God to, to show you acts of compassion. You know, I'll never forget this. A couple of years ago when we would go out to 16th Street Mall and, and we would go and, and Mary Jane would carry that shopping cart with her. And we usually put water, snacks in there. And she just wanted to give everything to everybody. See, that she had compassion for the people, Mary Jane, as we would walk and pray for people. And she would walk into the, to the cafes. There, you know, it was the summer, and there would be people out on the sidewalk cafes. And shalom, y'all, shalom. Yeshua loves you. Yeshua loves you so much. And, and then she would give water to the homeless and, and little snacks and things like that. See, that's compassion. Those are acts of compassion. And we see this, this characteristic of compassion in God in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. You know the context is, you, is, is Moses, is, he's having this dialogue with God. And he says, man, you, you, know, you, you want me to, to lead these people. And, and you know, I don't even know how to lead these people. And unless you go with me, God, you know, unless your presence goes with me, I don't even want to lead these people. And then, and then Moses in his, in his chutzpah says, show me your glory. Show me who you are. I, I, I've heard you and you speak and you say I've got favor with you and, and you see me with favor in your eyes, God, but I want to see your, your glory. And so in Exodus 34, verse 6, this is, this is what happens. And Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate Merciful, that's what that word compassionate means, merciful. The merciful, a gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, chesed, and truth, showing mercy to thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. It's interesting that this is who he proclaims his name is. And after his name, the first thing he says is, I am a God of mercy. Right after he declares his name. It's the first attribute he proclaims after his name. You see where God is compassionate. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Oh, this is the law. This is Old Testament. God has changed how he relates to us. This is old. No. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 31. For Adonai, your God, is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. We also see in the prophets, Nehemiah and Daniel and, and throughout, and I'm not going to read these scriptures, but the, they, first of all, they realize that their people, Israel, they have been rebellious. They've turned their back on God. And yet they still see, they say, God, we know we've rebelled against you. We confess the sins of our people, but we know that you are compassionate and you will bring us back to you. They knew something about God in his compassion, in his mercies. They confess Israel's rebellion, yet proclaim her survival due to his mercy. And we can proclaim, even though we've rebelled, we've survived because of his mercy. We can overcome because of his mercies. How many of us have ever rebelled against God? How many, how many of us have ever said, no, Lord? Those two words don't go, no, Lord. And yet, he still loves you. He still has compassion on you. That's why when people say, well, you know what? God just, he reached a point where he was done with Israel because they just, they rejected Messiah, done with Israel, replace him with the church. I, that's not even his character. He can't do that. 
He can't not be compassionate and merciful. You understand that? We need to understand that. And we understand that as we read the Torah and as we read the prophets and we read the Psalms. And David, I love David. David puts his mercy, God's mercy, in a personal way. You see, David, at this point in his life in Psalm 51, he was an adulterer. First of all, God had just put him into the position of being a king. He experienced God's blessings. And then he was a he, he became a he was an adulterer and a murderer. But David understood something in, in, in Psalm 51 3. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your mercy, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. You see, David knew something about the character of God that many people today don't understand. Even him being a murderer and adultery, he knew God was gracious and merciful. Were there consequences? You betcha there was consequences for David. But even so, he hung on. He clung to. He embraced the character of God. And he didn't have the New Testament scriptures. Huh. Imagine that. Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah sees mercy as a reward of repentance. When we repent, God pours out his mercy on us. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous one his thoughts. Let him return to Adonai so he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. He could have said he will pardon. But for some reason, Isaiah says, he will abundantly pardon. I know when I came to the Lord, 26 years old, and I needed to be pardoned of a whole lot of things. And he abundantly pardoned, pardoned me. And he does that for us today. Hallelujah. See, the Old Testament saints, they understood God was a God of compassion and mercies. And they needed his mercies, and they called upon his mercies every day. They needed his mercies as much as we do. How many of us need our, his mercies today? Joel 2.13 says, rend your hearts, not your garments, and turn to Adonai your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in mercy, and relenting about the calamity due. Basically, Joel is referring back to the words that God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. God is a God of compassion. Another characteristic about him that oftentimes overlooked and taken advantage of and misunderstood in, in much of our church today, much of our, many of our congregations, is God is a God of grace. And even to use that word grace, it conjures up in everybody different, different definitions of what grace is. It's unmerited favor. And to a certain degree, that's true. It's very true. But chen is the Hebrew word. You have that word up there, chen. Not hen. It's not with a he. It's a chen. Everybody say chen. 
which is translated favor. And it's a picture of the stronger, a stronger one coming to the help of a weaker. Yes, it's something we don't deserve, but yet God pours out his grace upon us. But I look at it this way. You see, if Yeshua is living inside of me, he is deserving of his Father's presence and his grace. And because he is in the Father and the Father is in him and we are in Yeshua, guess what? That favor of Yeshua is in us. You know, I, I met a guy, this is years ago, and he was a young guy, and he was in an accident, and, and he had some issues with, with his heart, and he was actually, he was given a heart transplant. And it's interesting, because I, I, but you'd go to him and say, so whose heart do you have? And it, it was somebody else's heart, but it was his heart. So you say, well, well, whose heart is it? Well, it was so-and-so. He even knew the guy, his the donor who, who died, and it was his heart, but it's my heart. It's the same thing with the spirit. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. It says in Jeremiah chapter 31. So it's his heart, but it's our heart. It's him in us. You see, grace is, and I, I've developed a, a definition. Some of you have heard it many times, a definition of what grace is. It's that indwelling presence of God in the person of Yeshua that allows me to be and to do all that he's purposed for me to be and to do. It's his indwelling presence in me. You see, he delights in bestowing benefits on his children. And sometimes we are not deserving of his benefits, but because of his compassion, we're deserving of his grace, too, because you can't separate compassion from grace. It's everywhere in the Tanakh, all over in the Tanakh, we see his grace. Do you know that salvation by grace through faith is not a new covenant concept? It's all through the scriptures. We see this in Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor, chen, in Adonai's eyes. Saved. And because of that favor that Noah had, that grace that Noah had, it was salvation for him and his family. And then, and then verse 9, it says, and these are the genealogies of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. You see, it's that indwelling, it's that grace that Noah experienced from God. And, and God says he was a righteous man and he was blameless among his generation. Does that mean that he never did anything wrong? Does that mean that he never sinned? I don't believe that that means that. You see, we, understand, we, we have come to the conclusion that righteousness is totally being without sin. And that's not what it means. Righteousness is right standing with God because he lives in me, because of what he did. It's all about what he did. It's not about my behavior. Yeah, he desires righteous behaviors as a result, but first we need to understand who we are in him and how we've been changed. So we see that he was righteous in his generation. In verse 9, it talks about Noah being perfect in his generation. 
See, favor equates with being perfect and righteous. That doesn't mean, again, what I say, it doesn't mean that everything we do is perfect in our behavior, in our actions. But because his spirit is in us, my spirit has been made perfected. It's perfected, and it's in the process of being made. You know, in the New Testament, it says we are made perfect, and we're in the process of being made perfect or holy. Yes, we're holy, but we're in the process also. My spirit is holy. My spirit is righteous, but my mind, will, and emotions, my actions are not. They're in the process. Does that make sense? At least nod your head. Kind of quiet here this morning. Favor equates to perfect, perfection and righteousness. But it's not about our behavior, but a relationship with he who is perfect and righteous. And that perfection is bestowed on us because we're in relationship with him. And nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from that, that love that he has for us. Moses knew this grace. Turn with me to Exodus 33, verse 12. I'm going to read this passage through verse 19. How much time we got? Oh, we're good. We're almost there. So Moses said to Adonai, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found grace in my eyes. Now then, I pray that if I have found grace in your eyes, show me your ways so that I may know you, so that I might find favor, grace, in your sight. Consider also this nation is your people. My presence will go with you. God says this. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest, he answered. But then he said to him, this is so typical of Moses, this Jewish, this Israelite. He's just having this, this chutzpah dialogue with, with God. But then he said, if your presence does not go with me, don't let us go up from here. For how would it be known that I or your people have found favor, grace, in your sight? Isn't it because you go with us that distinguishes us from all the people on the face of the earth? Adonai answered Moses, I will do what you have said. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So he's reckoning, God, God is reckoning his presence in his favor with the children of Israel through one man. This is interesting. Verse 18. Then he said, please show me your glory. And I talked about that a little while earlier. So he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you and call out the name of Adonai before you. I will be gracious towards whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will be merciful. Grace, favor, mentioned nine times in those verses. Grace, presence, closely tied together. You can't differentiate between the two. Let me remind you of something that had just taken place with the children of Israel. Anybody remember what had just taken place before this little encounter between Moses and the father? The golden calf. 
They had sin, idolatry. God was really, he was willing to, to get rid of them all and start again with Moses. So they had just been, they had just, you know, how, were, how long was Moses God, what, 40 days? He was up there 40 days. And they're just, man, he's, he's we don't know where he's at. Let's, let's build a, let's, let's make a, a golden calf. It's right after this, God says, my presence is with you. My favor is extended to you. It's going to be through this man, Moses. And I'm not talking about, well, if we're in Messiah, we're, it's okay to sin. We have permission to sin. It's not about that at all. No, no, not at all. It's not, sin is not permissible. But it's about grace and empowerment to embrace our new identity as righteous. And therefore, I don't want to sin. Does that make sense? When we embrace and we begin to walk in who we are, that new identity, identity based on God's character, and we really see him for who he is, I don't want to sin anymore. I will sin less than I used to. Every week, we speak his grace over us. I speak a blessing over you, and, and, and our people have been receiving this blessing, and it's called the ironic blessing. For 3,500 years, this has been spoken. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. We all know it. God says to Moses, I want you to bless my people. And this is how I want you to bless my people. And we know this by, by heart. I don't I bless you and, and keep you. I don't I make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. So every day when we hear that and we receive that blessing, God is saying, I'm putting my grace, my favor on you because you're my children. You're my people. Make his face shine and be gracious to you. Adonai, turn his face towards you and grant you shalom. You see, when we're walking, when we receive that grace, we're able to walk into a shalom. He deals with us by his grace, not necessarily by, by what we deserve, but by his grace he deals with us. It's a favor that's not dependent upon our behavior. This was a hard thing for me to understand. I'm still struggling with that. Does God care about our behavior? Absolutely, but he does not reckon me as righteousness and perfect based on my behavior, but I'm based on what he did for us. Does that make sense? But because we are sons, because we're daughters, therefore, I want to behave in a righteous way. And that's why it's so important for us to understand, especially in these crazy days, the character and nature of God. And when we understand that, I don't want to do the things that I used to do before. Because as a son, you don't want to hurt your, your father. You don't want to bring embarrassment or shame upon your, your household. Start looking at it in that way. And then his shalom. We ask for his shalom. It, it's not a cessation of strife. It's not an end of strife or struggle. But it, shalom in its fullness means completeness, welfare, health, abundance, prosperity, wealth, those things. That's what shalom is. Shalom is just not a, something you say in a, when you go to Israel and you hear on the phone, shalom, 
Hello, hello. Or shalom, shalom. You know, it, it's, it's not just a greeting that says hello. It's a blessing that means so much more. That may God's completeness be in you. May God's wholeness, welfare, abundance, prosperity be in you. When we say Shabbat Shalom, we're actually putting a... Yeah, I was going to call you up. That's awesome. She just reads my mind. <laughs> it's, it's that we're promoting, we're, we're, we're proclaiming a blessing over one another when we say Shabbat Shalom. So don't get upset if we, you hear Shabbat Shalom 47 times a day on Shabbat. Just receive 47 blessings. And as I close, I just want to close with this verse. And why don't we stand together as we prepare to enter into a time of worship. And just focusing in on the Lord. And I really sense, I don't, I don't want anybody to leave today who is not in a relationship with Yeshua. If there's anybody here and you doubt anything, you're, you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm, I just, but I just, you're sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning. Don't leave here without, without just saying, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I need you in my life. Psalm 84, 12. says, for Adonai Elohim is a sun, S-U-N, and a shield. Adonai gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He desires to just overflow us with his grace, his presence. It's because of his incredible mercy and grace we have the empowerment to walk in a new identity. You see, that's what the new covenant brings us. My new identity is now in Yeshua HaMashiach. I can tell you for sure, 40 years ago or so, the old stew, and you didn't know the old stew. Millie knew the old stew. Nobody here knew the old stew. He died. I'm a new creation. I didn't understand that term, new creation. But the more I understand and walk in God's character, understand his character and desire to walk in his character, I walk in that new identity. This is why I have a hard time, and if this goes against your theology, I'm sorry. I have a hard time when people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I say, no, you're not. You're a new creation. Yes, you tend to sin. But God sees you, but what's happened in your spirit? He sees you as a new creation, a child, a son or daughter of the living God. He doesn't see you as that sinner See, that's a change of identity. You know, when Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God, and it says in Romans chapter 5, is they became sinners. But through Messiah, we have a new creation. I'm no longer in Adam's family. I'm not talking about, I'm no longer a member in Adam's family. I have been transferred into his family. That's a real thing that took place. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? A new identity. In him, and this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, in him we become the righteousness of God. 
in him we become, not because of my righteous behaviors I become, but in him I become the righteousness of God. A righteous, a righteousness from God based on my faith in him, not based on my behavior. Philippians 3.9, it's a based on trust. And then he says, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For the one working in you is God, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. See, it's not, well, okay, you're righteous now. Just do whatever you want to do. No, it's righteous. You're my child. And because of who you are, this is the way you're to walk. This is the way you're to walk. And the more we know him, and I'm talking about know him, really know him, not just, just an intellectual understanding, the more we know him in intimacy, we'll desire to please him in what we do. It's because of his mercy, it's because of his grace that we're able to stand today. So Father, I just thank you. I thank you that Yeshua showed us that he is the way and the truth and the life. And I thank you, Lord, that in 1979, I had that revelation. And I died, but I came alive in you. You gave me a new heart, a new identity, a new purpose, something that you had purposed even before creation. And I know this is the same for each and every one of us here, Lord God. You, you, Father, have a plan. You have a destiny. You have a purpose for each and every one of us here. According to your book, according to what I do. So, Father, I pray that each one of us, Lord God, each one of us, Lord, and even as we turn our hearts to worship you during this time, Lord God, you would speak to us as a son, as a daughter, as a child the things that we want to hear, that we need to hear from you. So, Lord, we thank you for being present here. Lord, as we worship you, Lord, we want to just say, Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, I want us to hear what you're speaking to us, even this morning. That the worship, during our time of worship, your presence is here, and you will speak to hearts that are troubled. Speak to hearts that are asking questions. Lord, you are the answer to those questions. Lord, you would move in our midst today and bring revelation. B'Shem Yeshua, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. As we enter into a time of worship, part of our worship is also giving, giving offerings, our offerings to him, our tithes. You see, that is also, God is saying, I, I'm just over overflowing you with my grace and my mercies and he doesn't need our givings he doesn't need our offerings and and tithes but he says just this just give this and and trust me trust me and i will show many things to you that you didn't have any idea about so this is our time where we bring our tithes and offerings before the lord we have a box in the back called a pushkan and also we have a couple of baskets here as we enter in it Let's just open our hearts and open our ears to receive from him this morning. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Oh, Lord, bless me and keep me and call
cause your face to shine on me. Oh Lord, be gracious. Lift the light of your countenance and give me peace. Oh Lord, bless me and keep me. Shine on me 
that God is speaking to some of us here this morning to kind of make a recommitment. Recommitment is, is not, you know, God save me, but just a recommitment to, Lord, to trust you more in 2020 than I did last year. Lord, to trust you for those, those, those things that I'm facing right now. And I just want to encourage you to come on up here worship up here and I just want to anoint you with oil if you sense that the Lord is just really speaking to you about just new things new things and being ready for those new things and, and walking in his power, walking in his anointing walking in, in his righteousness for a renewal just, just come on up here, I just worship him and I just want to, to anoint you with oil Shine on me. 
your heart and your voice in song. Can I just ask if you can, if you just come on up to the front as we worship with this song. It's all about his, his presence and just worshiping him. So if you could just, it's just something about just taking a step of action step and come on up here and let's just worship together in this
mercy. 